Hello, faithful listeners. Mark here. We're going into the vault today. This episode, How to Make Huge Profits Without Clients, was originally recorded on June 20th of 2018. This is a good one. Enjoy. Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Andrew Schroeder, General Manager of Schroeder Design Build in Fairfax, Virginia. You know, I always thought remodeling would be so easy if it wasn't for all the clients. Well, believe it or not, Andrew's figured out a way to make that happen, and he's going to tell us all about it in just a minute. Yeah, it's me, Deadpool, and I got an offer that you can't refuse. Ah, fake laugh. It's funny that I only ever see two of you. Hi, this is Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) You totally totally throw me off when you do that. I don't know what to say. (laughs) So I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Yeah, you are. Yeah, great. So... It's going to be a fun episode today because, you know, we're all, you know, as we get older, we start thinking about how we're going to make money and what we should invest in and where, you know, where we're going to make the most uh, on our, on our most biggest return on our investments. And one of the things we hear about a lot is investing in real estate, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know. One of the things we hear about a lot from our members is that they buy office buildings for their businesses. It's one of the first places that people, small business owners, will invest in real estate. Sure, right? sure. And it's great when you can do that. It's a wonderful move to make, I think. So our guest today, though, he's going to be talking a little bit more about how to invest beyond that, how to make lots of money by investing in real estate in kind of a unique way. I, honestly, I don't have a clue what direction he's going to take it, so I can't wait to get him on here to, to find out. You know, I remember years ago we had a roundtable member who was really big in investing in real estate, and his deal was um, buy it and hold it and rent it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what angle Andrew's going to take on that either, um, but this guy had developed quite a little uh, empire of, of homes that he owned and rented. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. We got yeah. really excited about it. Um, I never actually pulled the trigger on it because it's involved. Scary. Yeah, and scary. But <laughs> uh, but I think Andrew's got us a good formula. So uh, shall we yeah, let's get into it? Andrew Schroeder is a visionary, dynamic, hardworking, and passionate individual who sees Schroeder Design Build to be a diverse company in the remodeling industry with a range of services, from renovating residential homes to real estate. In addition to his work for Schroeder Design Build, Andrew is the youngest recipient to receive the Master Certified Remodeler designation, plus he's obtained his Universal Design Certified Professional designation. Plus, Andrew is the son of some of our original Roundtables members, and as a matter of fact, they were one of my first clients. I can remember Andrew as a toddler in his diapers, (laughs) crawling around the table, (laughs) chairs underneath the table. Do you remember that, Andrew? I was wondering if that was him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I had to. I couldn't miss that, right? So, you know. I should have known. You know, you're, you've got a lot of really good angles we could take in this discussion because you're a second gen, taken over an established, successful business, and really you've you've taken it in such a wonderful direction. You're a member of the Mentor Four Roundtables group, and you're networking with another fantastic group of smart, motivated people who want to grow their businesses. But this is such a unique 
diversification that I really was excited that you agreed to come on the show and talk to us a little bit about your real estate investing. Well, I appreciate you having me on. So give me an idea, you know, how did this get started? How did you get to invest in in it in the the way you have, I want to say why real estate first and then how? Well, first I have a clarification. Uh, we had changed the name of our group from Mentor4 to M Money. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I like it. Total fit. Yeah. Um, like, so how I grew the company to go in the direction of real estate. So uh, being second gen and coming up and observing where the company was, where it was positioned and like what direction you want to take and then the exposure that, you know, RA gives on just reflecting on uh, your company and what you want to get out of your company compared to what you want to put into your company. Uh, really, it comes down to where can you invest your time, where you can invest your money, and then where you're going to get your returns. Mm-hmm. Right. And so with that regard, uh, we just went through and took a look at what could be done. Uh, my parents had gone down to the Steve Jordan seminar that you were Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So they had gone down to Steve Jordan, um, who had formulas set up, which is to, uh, you know, buy, fix, and hold. Right. And hold and then, um, you know, refi and then roll over the money to the next purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one strategy. And so I think in the long-term scheme of wealth building, you want to hold on to real estate. And I think that's why a lot of people end up wanting to buy their own office building. Right. So they're paying rent to themselves because you are you secure your own fate. Yes. Um, you kind of have all your eggs in one basket, though, as well. So it's like there is a, a little bit of risk to that. Well, how do you mean? So if there's a time that the company's not doing well, the economy doesn't do well, well, then your company's not doing well and you have a renter that might not be able to pay rent. Yeah. So that's, that's potential, potentially a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all comes down to risk and how to manage risk. So if you put the money in the stock market, there's a certain amount of risk. You can uh, diversify your stocks and your mutual funds and your bonds in order to mitigate that risk based on how aggressive you want to get. And so what I prefer is if returns are the same or greater in real estate, that's what we do for a living. So I feel like you have a competitive advantage there to be able to control your risk. Well, so, okay, so you've got the base company, right? Shorter design build. You're doing several million dollars in design build work successfully, profitably. All that's rocking and rolling. you got a nice team, good culture, great key manager, leadership team. All that's going really well. So why did you even feel the necessity to step into real estate? So we were looking at uh, our company. So our, our budget this year is about $5.3 million. And in order to do 5.3 million, you have to have more than just one person selling. So as the sales team expands, you look at either you as the owner, who's a very seasoned salesperson, is either going to keep selling Mm -hmm. or you can choose to do something else with your time. And so one of the stats that we get in the composite report that I find to be the, the number one stat that I go by is dollars of income per the time you put in. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. how much money are you making per hour that you are actually working? Mm -hmm. 
And so everything needs to be based on, so where are you getting the base, the, the best return? Cause you want to get return on your dollars, but I think return on your time at some point becomes a better means of tracking. Okay. That makes sense. And so how we shifted over in our company is, so then once we st- start doing budgeting, um, if you could, like one of the hardest things to do, at least in, in our market and what we see is acquiring new clients. That's a very challenging task because you're always going and having to hunt down the next project. And, right. and that's the nature of contracting is, is uh, we, we're, we're not doing large government contracts, even though I live in that area where you could have like a five-year contract and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sustain the team for a number of years. Instead, you're all, we're always working on, you know, two to five month projects. And then you always have to go and hunt and kill the next um, project. Right. And so uh, that's always just the, the larger the company gets, the bigger the overhead machine is that needs to get fed. And that wave is always going to be there. So that's a, that's a, always a stress on the salespeople mm-hmm. uh, and the whole team to fulfill the pipeline, of course. So what I was looking at is, What's another means to fill your pipeline and your backlog that you don't have to go out and acquire a client? Right. And so then it kind of came into the fact that just to acquire my company and pay for it at the age that I was, I had to figure out another means to get extra money anyway. So I was flipping houses on the side. And then at some point it, it dawned on me, like, if I set this up like a whole nother job, and ran it like a job and it had to have the same systems as a job and you treated it the same way as you treat your clients, it would just take up another slot in the production queue. And so then now we have a means of being able to fill up another crew or jobs or fill in spots um, uh, with the additional work. So do you actually, uh, is it a, a treated as a separate entity, like a, the one company's hiring Shredder Design Build? Is that how you treat it? Uh, yes. So, uh, you know, the advice that people would give if you were buying your own um, office building, condo, whatever it is that you're going to do, you want to get that in a separate LLC and then you would rent to your construction LLC or your construction S Corp or whatever your designation is. Mm-hmm. So the same thing wants to happen for protection in the real estate realm is you want to buy that in a separate LLC and then do a formal full boat contract like you would with a client with the construction agreement, all the specs, all the selections, uh, drawings, and everything and run it like a a full job. How about the profit margin on that? Is that the same too? So I have an adjusted profit margin. So anything that runs through the job, as you set it up for RAR standards, is you want to hit 10% net profit at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So everything, so it doesn't really matter how you run your formula in your remodeling company as long as you're hitting your 10%. So we um, uh, redid the real estate portion of a job and realized, okay, so how much overhead is actually going into a job? Because that would dictate what the markup would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the hard costs are going to be the same uh, for the job no matter what. You can adjust the selection so the actual you know, fixture caliber may change, but ultimately you still have to build an addition or gut the house or, you know, input all the kitchen and bath items. So the fixed cost remains the same. So it's just the adjustment for the markup. So fast forward, what I figured out was we apply 
we use 10% of our overhead for our real estate and then we need 10% for the net. So ultimately we need to have a 20% GP on okay. that um, property. All right. So we use much less marketing, very mm-hmm. minimal admin. Uh, we do bill out some of our office space. Um, I do have a realtor on staff now. So anything that is associated with, um, you know, internet and utilities and that office space gets a percentage out. Uh, and that comes to about 10%. So uh, what we're trying to do is get 20% GP and then 10% net on those uh, jobs. Andrew, why do you have a realtor on staff? Great question. I'm glad you brought that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, what I found that to, to it, it went from a, hey, I do real estate on the side, and that's just another means, and then it's easy to do onesie, twosie jobs, which I think is a great starting point for anybody just to add a little bit more money in the bank at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had one of my project developers kind of running the department, and it always stayed like we did one project, two projects a year. And we did that for several years. And then at some point it just made more sense. It's like, Hey, if I get a realtor on staff, then I can own that other risk uh, part that I was explaining, which is going to be figuring out what the future value is going to be. Right. And I could own the whole thing. And then I could also tie their compensation into the profitability of that, uh, sale of that property instead of a commission on the uh, sales price. Right. And so then they're just another one of the team members that's part of the team mm-hmm. and um, was able to find a very, very good fit that fit our team and then fit the trajectory that our department's going in. So that person finds you the properties too? Are they in charge of finding these properties saying, hey, I've got a good sure. deal. Let's take a look at this one. That's right. And okay. then it really, what that does is it acts as steward for me and my time. So then it limits, um, it limits my time. So then uh, they'd be looking at uh, listings or if it's not on the market, they'd just be looking at the property. They might preview the property for me, give me a list. And so when I go out there, I only have to spend like 15 minutes walking through a house of what needs to be done, envision what needs to be done and get out of there. So instead of doing a you know, an hour and a half to two hour sales appointment. It's like 15 or 20 minutes. I can figure out what needs to be done. So it's very, very fast. Good, good. That's really cool. Hey folks, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've likely heard me refer to our Roundtables Peer Group Program. We have a bunch of our members on the podcast in the past and I always try to give them a shout out. Now, if you're not familiar with Roundtables, It is the industry's largest peer group program, and we've been hosting them, the peer groups, for over 30 years. We bring together groups of 10 to 12 business owners from non-competing markets to share strategies, to share experiences, to help one another build action plans to drive the results of each of these companies forward in a way that I've never seen before. We know that you can be successful on your own. But by working with roundtables and a group of your motivated peers, you can cut your progress time in half. There's just nothing like it. Why be alone? Why figure this stuff out all by yourself 
when you can figure it out with a group of people who know exactly how your business works, what your challenges are, and will share how they overcame each of these. We'd love to have you join us. If you want to learn more about this, visit our website at remodelersadvantage.com or talk to Steve Wheeler at steve at remodelersadvantage.com and he can give you more information about the program. Seats are limited because they have to be non-competing markets. So call today and get to be part of this incredible community of generous, smart, savvy, motivated remodeling company owners. So Art, when, tell us about how you have this structure. Do you have the outside LLC and you what go buy a property? I mean, walk us through the process. How does it work? And then what do you do with the property once it's renovated? Okay. Uh, I want to stick and talk about money for a second and then sure. I'll go through the whole process. Okay. So, so uh, ultimately you're running, uh, pretend, pretend you are just the acquirer of, and you were just the client and you were contracting with a different um, construction company or pretend my friend bought a house and they wanted me to renovate it. I would need to renovate it, put all my, uh, cost of goods sold, my overhead applied to it, and want to yield 10% net. So that's why it's important to do the 10% net. Mm-hmm. But but my friend that would buy this house in this particular example, he wouldn't be wanting to do that for free. So the LLC that he would be buying with it would have its own profit to come with that. Ah. So in the end, it's a double-dipping scenario because – the remodeling company is getting 10% net Mm -hmm. on the remodeling job. But then there is a margin that comes with the acquisition and then the selling of that property. So there's an additional margin that's had there. So the LLC makes a chunk of money and then my S Corp makes a chunk of money on every property. And you've got an awesome client. (laughs) Sometimes, yes. Sometimes I think my guys think I'm a pain in the ass because I still like to have my weekly meetings with them and they have to, you know, I have to have accountability and and things like that. I still have to be an active client in order to ensure, you know, my project's done on time and on budget, just like any other client. As long as you keep change orders to a minimum, I think everybody will be happy. Yeah, just just don't uh, interview, like podcast interview them about that. (laughs) Okay, Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. How do you... Said so. I'm assuming that the LLC makes the money when they sell the renovated property. So you're not holding; you're renovating and selling. Correct. As of right now, I have strategies for both. But in terms of uh, cash accumulation, it's better to flip it. And then, uh, as soon as I, I have a strategy, like once I get to a certain amass a certain amount of cash, then I'll probably diversify a little bit and do both strategies. So how does how are you able to do this? Make money in both entities have a realistic margin on the remodeling and well for both again both sides and still have it priced to sell so when we work um what your company does and what your company does well is drives like what's the successful formula for your company mm-hmm. you know what what makes sense for you so i think we see some companies have 40 percent margin some mm-hmm. people have 32 some people have you know anything in between it just depends on what your how you're doing your billings and your overhead structure to ultimately get to your 10%. So in order for us to get to our 10%, and I think that's what the major competitive advantage is for all of us remodelers to potentially go do more flips is what, what the secret sauce 
there's, there's two secret sauces that are needed is one is being able to predict what the selling price of a fixed up house is going to be. And then two is how much is it going to cost to remodel it? So a lot of the investors in this world are just outside investors and they can't do either of those things and they need to rely on a realtor and a contractor to help them out. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of realtors that do that. So they would be able to do the predicting of what that future value is going to be, but they need help with the contractor to do right. the purchase end or like the construction end of things right. and the construction costs. And so you know, the hardest thing to do is estimate those construction costs. And we do that on like an everyday basis. Right. I mean, most remodelers out there are their own estimators and their own mm -hmm. um, home inspectors. Mm -hmm. Andrew, you, you mentioned earlier, just kind of vaguely talking about, you know, there's some risks, it can be risky and all that. Is, is there anything, any specific risk factors that you that are on your radar that you're watching out for or, or others should be looking out for? It's all about risk, and then the more projects you do, the more you understand how the real estate market works. It's very, very localized, and then each house has its own little anomalies that you need to know and make adjustments for, like comps. Um, so going back to the formula, you try to identify those at any given time. So from the, from the get-go, you need to come across a project, and it needs to hit that successful formula, and that's what has taken me a little while to understand what a successful formula looks like for a flip project. Mm -hmm. So when you go in, you identify the project uh, or identify the house. Is this going to make sense? Uh, you have to figure out exactly what's going to go into it because sometimes it needs to have an addition. Sometimes you can just gut it and redo it as is. Sometimes, you know, it could be a teardown or something like that. And then you got to work hand in hand with somebody that's going to give you what that estimated uh, proposed uh, sell price is going to be and then you can backtrack all your costs from there just like you would on any remodeling job so you need to know that you're going to give some commissions to somebody to when you go to sell it for your end and the, and the buyer's end and then all your uh, profit that you want to get out of it all the construction costs and then any lending that goes into it mm -hmm. insurance mm -hmm. uh, closing on the purchase and then that can backtrack you all the way down to what your purchase price would be. So how much time does all this take? Sounds like a whole lot. It sounds like a whole lot, but when you get a formula down and you know how, how to get it done quickly, what I found is, so um, your average close rate for a remodeling job is gonna be, depending on how seasoned you are, it's gonna be uh, one out of six to one out of four, one out of three, something like that. So you still have to visit three to five houses or something like that in order to get a remodel job. Mm. That might be about the same case for a, uh, a flip property, but the, the flip property might yield the same amount of net profit as that remodel job that you were looking at as well. Plus you could get the net profit that would come from the actual acquisition and selling of the property. So we're slated to do roughly... 750 to 800 thousand dollars worth of flip house construction mm -hmm. this year mm -hmm. so about eight hundred thousand dollars worth of remodeling work for the mm -hmm. for my uh um, flipping entities mm -hmm. and i probably spend about maybe 10 hours a week on real estate or something like that whereas i spend about 40 hours a week on the remodel side of the design build side 
have you run into any issues with with your crews or your your field t- staff or team as far as treating the job differently or like standards or anything because it's like well it's it's just andrew <laughs> <laughs> um I'm sure that's what they always say. Um, they wouldn't say it to my face. Um, um, no, that's interesting. That's a really good question because I guess you guys prepped really well because that's something that we do run across because, um, you know, we do pretty, some pretty high-end uh, design build work for our clients, but that's not what you would put into a house. And there's certain um, zip codes that we, we work in and we work all over Northern Virginia, which is a pretty big geographical area. So our flips would could sometimes be in lower middle class neighborhoods and some of them are in upper upper middle class or either even um upper class neighborhoods mm-hmm. and they're treated differently so the mm-hmm. this caliber of products that we put in are all across the board based on that neighborhood so we have to kind of do that assessment and then determine like quality of product mm-hmm. and so we're doing that ourselves and that's the trickiest thing is that we walk into it and certain things need to be like good enough. And it's hard because we're kind of perfectionist by right. nature and some things you have to, you have to let go. Mm-hmm. And that's something that my production team is sometimes struggles with. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So here's a two part question. How many houses have you flipped and what was the most expensive that in terms of sales price in the end? Let's see. I think I've done um, 12 at this point. Okay. 12 um, with an awesome trajectory at, the, at this snapshot of our company. So as we've expanded and got better sales staff than the budgeted um, forecast of what, how many uh, flip properties we need to expand. And then that, that branches out into um more development so then we start buying properties and now like you know take down one house we're building two that should start in about two months wow and then looking at another one that's going to be take down two houses build four houses and that can easily expand and then it starts to be exponential returns on the development side and the profitability of the development side which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool i think the Largest house we purchased was uh, for nine uh, uh, POS uh, $962,000 house. Yikes. And um, we're closing in two weeks on that for uh, about one five. So, Andrew, you said you're on an awesome trajectory um, with the flipping side of it. So, I, I don't know, I guess quick math in my head, it's, it's about, what, 18% or so of of your projected revenue for the year. Are you keeping that in mind as far as what percentage it should be to your remodeling? What, what am I trying to say? Your other, yeah, other client. My total volume. Yeah, there you uh, so that's another good, interesting question because it's pretty spot on. When we were doing all our budgeting because of the growth that, uh, projection that we have for our company, we, uh, we are tracking what percent of the volume is real estate just because we find it important. So we do adhere to some of the gazelle ratios that we should have. And we try to keep at a growth rate for the company of 20%. However, that's 20% because of acquiring new customers and building the design, like uh, establishing systems for the design build side is what would cause us not to be able to grow faster. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's too volatile. 
But on the real estate side, you know, I can acquire faster as long as I have the cash and I'm ready to move. So for the real estate side, it skips kind of the design department because we have packages now for different baths and kitchens. So it's just easy just to apply, you know, this, this bath's going to get kitchen pack or this bathroom's going to get bathroom package one, this right. kitchen gets bathroom pack or kitchen package three. So the selections are much easier. So I can scale the remodel side faster. So right now it's about, you know, 15 or 17% of total volume, but I, I foresee that becoming a higher percent because the mm-hmm. remodel side will get faster. You know, I mean, sorry, the real estate side will grow faster. Right. Now, you know, I've, I think back to the 2008-2009 time frame, and I recall some companies being caught with their pants down having properties they couldn't sell. They bought them, remodeled them, couldn't sell them, stuck with property they couldn't build on because nobody would buy. I mean, it was a scary time. How do you... How are you protecting yourself, or how do you think about that as a possibility? Yeah, because there's little threats in the whole process, but that's the, the largest threat out yeah. there. Because then all your money would uh, dry up, and lending could potentially, you know, want want to close on that loan. Mm-hmm. And so that is definitely the largest threat. So staying abreast on a lot of the, you know, economists' projections mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is important. So you're just not over leveraging yourself. There's a couple of ratios that I go by that I don't want to exceed a certain amount of debt compared to cash I have yep. in the bank in order Good. to offset those. Good. However, um, the only way to expand, because at first I was doing this and my growth of the real estate department was limited by I only wanted to purchase properties if I could buy them in cash. Mm. Uh, but then ultimately, in order to expand and be able to do like five properties at a time, I needed to be able to um, get lending. Uh, so monitoring that is huge, but there's still a lot of flipping that goes on in a down market because people still need to buy a house. So the only real threat is, you know, uh, purchasing high and then needing to sell low. Right. Because once the once the market actually crashes, then you're buying low and selling low, or you're buying medium, selling medium. So it's only during that one period uh, a snapshot where you'd be working on projects. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's, I, I think it's pretty well contained to a short period of time. All right. Very cool. Andrew, I love this topic. This has been a wonderful interview. And like I always say, we could keep going for hours, but we got to start our lightning round. You know the lightning round, right? Um, somewhat familiar with it. Go ahead. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right, I know you're super excited for this. So let's light this up. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage Lightning Round. It's a trap! Put 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What's your favorite business book and why? I like Getting Things Done by David Allen because ultimately we're all good at everything, but that allows you to focus and have mechanisms to get things done faster. If you weren't general manager of Schroeder Design Build, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, anything fitness or nutrition related. What are you not very good at? Uh, it's funny because we were joking about it before it got <laughs> before we got started. Anything uh, details, follow through, sitting still. I had to make a lot of mechanisms that and hire people that were good at that kind of thing. I'm, I'm just not here, here. Your room, your desk, or your car. Which do you clean first? That was an easy one. My desk because my room and my car are always clean. 
<laughs> How would I be able to tell you were having a bad day? Uh, you could probably see it in my face. <laughs> would you rather be without elbows or without knees? Uh, probably without elbows. Okay. <laughs> Any reason why? Um, I just get you can still get around faster if you had knees. <laughs> okay. All right. Good job. All right. Great. Thank you so much, Andrew. That's cool. And you're quite the fitness buff too, aren't you? What is it that you compete in? Is it weightlifting or CrossFit or? Yeah, I do a lot of CrossFit stuff, and that migrates into weightlifting, powerlifting, any type of uh, strongman stuff. That's really uh, what awesome. I found. What I found getting later in life is because I used to do a lot of running, and then your knees get pounded mm-hmm. on, and that doesn't feel good anymore. But the more I trained, the more I didn't require coffee and oh, able wow. to be alert like all day. Don't get me wrong; I still drink coffee, but like, <laughs> I think you like you train your brain to be focused for a long period of time. So I can, I can focus all day without needing like wow. uh, stimulants. Cool beans. That's great. All right. So, Hey, thank you so much for doing this. It's wonderful to have you on. You know, it's been so much fun to watch your uh, growth as a business leader and you've just done a stupendous job with your company. So this is a unique uh, diversification that I think more people could take advantage of. So thank you for sharing some of your secret sauce with us. Now, before we go, I wanted to ask you a little bit or to share your five words of wisdom. So five words of wisdom. I, I think that I want to use my motto that I have for my gym. So I end up, so I have a, a gym in my house because I end up spending too much time in my gym. And then as I started getting kids, then I mm-hmm. need to spend time at home. So I, it makes more sense just to work out at home. So we can do family time and work out at the same time, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that motto is the relentless pursuit of improvement. Now, what does that mean to you? I mean, what is that? How is that your, your motto? I mean, what does that mean? Well, I think that can be used like universally for whatever you're going to do is no matter what, you're, you're never as good as you could ever be. So mm-hmm. you can always improve. You can always get better. Mm-hmm. And you got to focus on what you're not good at and improve there. And you can, fo- you can still focus on what you're good at and even improve that. Right, and great. so it's, it's, you have to be relentless about it. I mean, you just, you got to think about it. You got to plan for it. You got to plan time to do research on how to get better. And, um, I found that, uh, through the training that I do through working out and whatnot, uh, makes it and shifts over into the work, uh, realm pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And I imagine your peers in your roundtables group love that attitude as well. So I'm sure it helps hold them more accountable and keeps them focused on that improvement as well. Uh, they do, and my team here does, except for I think at some point they get uh, tired of me talking about my different carbs and fats and proteins all the time. So. <laughs> I imagine. I imagine. <laughs> but it's paid off for you. So thank you so much, Andrew. Appreciate it, and this is an awesome interview. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, Andrew. Right, bye. That was good. Yes, it was. Very much so. You know, whenever I listen to him talk about real estate and he did a program last year at our at our summit that we had in um, Minneapolis last year and he shared some of these insights whenever I talk I just want to go out and flip and invest in real estate you know it's so funny because it's still it just it gives me the heebie-jeebies because it's like ah after the whole like economic downturn downturn and all that the great recession the great recession it was just man you just don't want it but he made such a great point it's if you think about it it's only that one little stint where 
the prices collapse. And right. if you bought high and you got to sell and you're just stuck. But mm-hmm. if you're buying and accumulating and working through it, it's a small piece of your inventory mm-hmm. that is really susceptible to that. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, afterwards, you're buying low. Right. And the benefit of having that real estate agent on staff is that they could search out those deals. And like we said, like like he said, remodelers are particularly suited to improving those properties and being able to turn it. It doesn't mean you have to be putting in the highest end product that's to fit the market, but you can do it in a way that will allow you to sell it and still make a profit. Yeah, no it, doubt. It, it seems like it's such a natural... No-brainer. Yeah, right? for remodelers, right? And <laughs> like I said, he's got the best client in the world. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> you know what I think? What do you think? <laughs> I know. No, what do you think? <laughs> I think we should let Naomi wrap this up. All right, well, another one in the can. Let's, Definitely. Let's shoot it off to Naomi. What do you say? All right. All right. Hey, thanks for being here, everybody. I'm Victoria Downing. And I'm Mark Curry. We'll see you next week. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about roundtables our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.